Good morning. Welcome to Two for Tuesday. I'm Phil D'Angelo, Managing Director of Focus Wealth Management. With me today is our Portfolio Manager, Mike Pizzani. Mike, how are you? I'm good, Phil. How are you? I am good, thank you. Hey, so um, let's talk about Tesla's earnings. What do you think about the quality of their earnings that came out the other day? So Tesla's uh, auto inventory shipment numbers were incredibly strong. And what's ironic about this is it comes in the wake of a lot of companies experiencing some really significant supply chain shortages and some issues getting deliveries and the manufacturing of parts. So Tesla delivered 200, over 231,000 vehicles in the third quarter, which were way ahead of consensus estimates. And in the past, Tesla had had some issues in terms of their deliveries and the demand for their cars, but they've really been living up to the expectations so far. And currently, they seem to be basically the only auto retailer that's able to meet the uh, demands um, out there in the marketplace right now. You're seeing a very strange environment where auto inventories in the United States of new cars are down 88% year over year. So a lot of car manufacturers, and that's of new cars, car manufacturers are having a really hard time getting the products that they need to meet the demand and hit their shipping estimates. I mean, if you go to almost any car lot, it's very lean in terms of the number of cars that are out there right now. So Tesla seems to be figuring out the supply chain issues a lot better than most other companies. And ironically enough, this I think in the third quarter, this upcoming earnings season, what we're likely to see is a lot of back and forth amongst different companies because there are some companies that don't have the exposure to some of these supply chain issues. There are some other manufacturing companies that have executed really well in the face of these supply chain issues. And then there's companies like Micron last week took down some of their numbers because they haven't been able to uh, meet the demand for a lot of their chips. So it's going to be a very mixed bag for a little while. But the fact of the matter is there's a lot of demand out there. Inventories are extremely lean, which bodes well for potentially some positive upticks in growth in the future if we get the supply chain issues figured out. So really positive numbers in the wake of uh, and execution in the wake of a lot of other companies not being able to do it. Yeah, interesting earnings report. Pretty pretty solid. Yeah. So, all right. Uh, my turn to ask you a question this week. Um, can you elaborate a little bit more about the Evergrande situation in China? Yeah, you know, I wanted to, as we discussed, come back to that. Um, I think at first we may have taken that a little bit with a grain of salt. Uh, and I, I think we have to show greater caution over the situation. You know, when you look at real estate in China, um, you know, right now it's making up over 10% of GDP. Uh, at the height of our housing crisis in 2000, or 2005-ish, let's say 2006, uh, housing only made up about 5% of GDP. Uh, so these are massive numbers, $1.6 trillion uh, in the Chinese economy is directly related uh, to, to, to housing. So at our height, again, it was probably like about an $847 billion number. So roughly double the bubble uh, that that is going on there. And when you look at the massive expanses of housing track that Evergrande, you know, was building, uh, it's huge. Uh, the stock uh, has been halted. It's, it's almost trading for nothing. As you know, they missed a bond payment. While I don't think this is a Lehman Brothers by any means, I do think that there's substantial issues in China 
Uh, and I, I think it when you when you look at Chairman Xi, President for Life's power, um, and what he did to certain other groups, again, Alibaba, uh, some of the tech companies, the education companies, the finance companies, uh, they are really turning uh, the corner here and, and they are once again delving uh, deeper into, you know, socialism. Uh, and there's going to be ramifications. If you go back now, 30-year performance on, uh, on the Chinese stock market uh, starting in 1992 when the ETF came out, the Chinese ETF, annual returns at 2.2% a year now compared to emerging markets at 7.8% or compared to U.S. stocks at around 10.7%. Those are huge performance differentiations. And, you know, it seems whenever Wall Street, you know, puts out a, a new hot investment or a hot growth area, hey, and hey, look, Chinese GDP in that period grew at 10% a year, massive numbers, massive economic growth, and the markets really have not done much. So, uh, you know, when you look at their accounting, when you look at their accounting standards, when you look at what's going on, I'm just wondering if this can spread a little bit further. And then to your point, you know, about seasonality uh, in this time of year, uh, I'm still uh, cautious. And uh, I, I still think that we don't know the full extent of the situation yet, whether they have to devalue the yuan or whatnot. Um, you know, there's still pressure on our treasuries right now. Uh, yields have gone up a little bit, but they backed off the high point. Um, so I'm, I'm curious here. Uh, I want to know the full extent of the debt and the far reaching uh, aspects of, of what could, you know, trigger uh, any more possible defaults or Chinese economic uh, problems. So, yeah, I, I totally agree. I, felt we, I felt that I felt that maybe we were a little bit dismissive of it being the Lehman Brothers, which I still maintain it's not. But I do think that there might be somewhere in between where it is worse than we think. Yeah, I think it's a tip of the iceberg type of moment. I remember way back in February of 2007, HSBC released a report about a couple, taking yeah. some massive write downs on a couple of their hedge funds that were invested in subprime. This could almost be, this was a, a year and a half before the entire financial crisis really began to unravel. So China has massive amounts of debt problems. And to your comment, like that 10% of GDP number, if you count the entire real estate market in the aggregate relative to household wealth in China, it represents about 25%. And I mean, everybody's seen all these articles and videos about ghost cities that have been built everywhere. I really think it's a question about how long the Chinese government can hold this together before it really starts to unravel, because the amounts of debt over in China are massive. They've been covering up a liquidity problem with financing additional debt over the course of the last few years. And that's really only going to exacerbate the problem long term. I don't think Evergrande is the only company that's in this position. That's no, no, stress. no. There are going and, to be a lot your, more companies. And to your prior point, right, I think, you know, one of the things in this business that you cannot, um, that you have to learn, that you have to learn is your encyclopedia of past events. And looking at the little canaries in the coal mine, like you mentioned, that HSBC report, I remember that clearly well, um, you know, and, and really thinking about, you know, what's the extent of how this problem can be. And yes, it might take time, uh, but we are looking at it and uh, we're on top of it for our clients. So good, very good point. OK, guys, well, that's it. We look forward to having Jolyn back next week in Two for Tuesday. Mike, have a good day. You guys, too. Everyone have a great week. Take care.